Jason. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall Podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! I don't know if you knew this or not, but Budget Blinds have some of the best people in our community. They are, and we have said this before, they are very much good eggs. That they are. They are always doing things to help out the community and, but wait, there's more. Ooh, what else are they doing? They are the home of the Signature Series Shades. So when you're ready to make your home a smart home, this is the place you need to go to. You're going to call Budget Blinds, and you're going to say, all hail, my robot shade overlords. And they're going to know what you need, and they're going to hook you up with Signature Series Shades. So when you're ready to make that decision, head on over to our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit right in the heart of downtown. Tell them Jason and Nick see you. Hello again, and welcome to Lee Summit Town Hall, a weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. I'm Jason Norbury, and as always, I'm joined by a man who has a big decision to make. It's whether it's Al Pastor or Carnitas. Oh, that decision. That decision. It's Nick Parker, the publisher of Link to Lee's Summit. I thought you were talking about that other really hard decision that we're going to really talk about later. No, no, no. That, that one's fine. It's, it's just your kids. This is not, I mean, it's not something important like tacos. Oh, tacos. <laughs> if only we had spent the last couple of hours talking about tacos instead of COVID, that'd be much better. Yeah. Link to Lee Summit, as always, is the source you need for all the news you need about our very fine city. And our unofficial sponsor today is the bubble. The heat bubble? That's the the bubble. The bubble. We all live in our own little bubbles, right? And like we have to be careful about how those bubbles interact with other bubbles. Well, guess what? I think all of our bubbles are about to get a lot bigger. Double bubble. Uh, with, the school, with the school year coming. So we got to do that. So, Nick, what, what are we talking about today? Well, we flipped it, Jason. Remember, we, we, we thought we were going to have a Friday conversation, um, you know, talking with some people around town, doing good things uh, with Velocity. But we flipped it. We did that one on Wednesday so we could hold off today. We are joined by special guest, Dr. Buck, the new superintendent, 17-day-old superintendent of Lee Summit R7 School District and the Board of Education President, Ryan Murdoch, because we wanted to have them come and talk a little bit about the reopening plan that was just made public at Thursday's Board of Education meeting. It was a long meeting. It was a big PowerPoint presentation. And as this is released, there should be emails and all of the R7 families' inboxes about some of the details of the plan, the big broad strokes of it, and, and the big, big choice that everybody has coming, whether to be in person or online schooling for the fall semester. And, and I think the, 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 the most important thing, and this as Jason, as a parent who has a kid in the district and has to make the decision, um, I think having them come on just, it helps put a little, little context and perspective around all of the information um, and the, the plan details that were put out there because like, I'm thinking about this stuff and trying to figure out just like everybody else, what is going to be the best decision for, for our, our child, for our family, for the people that we interact with. Um, so hopefully this, this conversation will give people a little, bit, uh, a little bit of insight and help make that decision maybe even a tiny bit easier. It's not going to make it easy, but maybe it makes it a tiny bit easier. Absolutely. So with that, and with no further ado, here's our interview with Dr. Buck and Mr. Murdoch. We 
are here with Dr. David Buck, superintendent of Lee Summit R7 Schools, and Ryan Murdoch, the board, uh, board of education. Is it president or chair? President. President, the board president. So we have a superintendent and a president with us today. So gentlemen, welcome to the, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. All right, so uh, we are recording this on Friday morning after what I would call is probably a momentous uh, board of education meeting uh, last night where uh, the district unveiled publicly its uh, plan to reopen the district. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about how we got to this point, what, where we, um, sort of the process that led you to here. Um, so I guess, Ryan, since you were here for, you know, I know that Dr. Buck has been involved with the district longer than the last 17 days, but officially he's only been here 17 days. So let's kind of backtrack. What, what things have we been doing since the shutdown to sort of prepare for this, this reopening? Well, I think the very first thing to understand is the moment that the schools got shut down, um, employees already started the planning for reopening. So um, starting in March, there was a, a team uh, put together that already started looking at reopening, how that was going to work. I think initially, you know, there was hopes that we would reopen even in the last school year. But then once the governor shut down the schools for the rest of uh, the 2019-2020 school year, then all of the planning ended up getting shifted to how can we make summer school a reality? And then how can we safely try to get students back into the buildings um, in the fall? And so that team um, at the Stansbury Leadership Center has been working now uh, for months on how we can do that. And I think it's been complicated, obviously, by ever-changing guidance, ever-changing data, um, and moving deadlines, moving targets the entire way. Um, and that's why they've had to continue to alter and tweak those plans now for the last four or five months. Okay, Dr. Buck, actually, um, I guess that uh, I'll, I'll ask sort of the bluntest question I, I can. Why is it so important that we have in-person, uh, that's literally my whole style, uh, but why is it that we, uh, it's so important to have in-person schooling in the fall? So it's obvious that kids learn best in person, okay? Um, but there's also the, the fact that you have uh, schools are, are provide a lot more than just academics. Um, uh, we're a safety net. Um, you know, I can I can tell you of a horror story that in my previous district where uh, um, a child we hadn't seen in several months, it turned out there was major abuse going on, um, including uh, he was handcuffed to the bed and lost 50 pounds. He was only a sixth grader. And he finally escaped and was found by police when he's running away. Thankfully, police found him before his uh, guardian did. So that if he was in school, that would have been noticed that he was losing weight and had bruises. Um, so we're a safety net too. So that's an important piece to have as well. Um, but we provide structure. I, I have three children. Um, one of my children has an IEP. Uh, you know, structure is very important for her. And uh, this has been rough on her not having structure um, of, of routine. So and some of our kids have occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy. Um, so we provide a lot more than just algebra, learning uh, two plus two. Uh, but even that part is even better face to face. Um, we're looking at re research uh, from folks. Um, you know, the, the American Association of Pediatricians has 64,000 folks. They came out very strong being this week saying kids need to be back in school. Um, Children's Mercy did the same thing the next day. Um, so, you know, it, developmentally, it's important. Uh, for kids to be in school. So once you make that decision, what uh, what are sort of the, the 
and and wh whichever one of you wants to tackle this is fine. Uh, which one? Uh, what are the sort of the guardrails or the guide rate guiding rails that you're going to use for making a decision like when and how that stuff is appropriate? So where where did you gather that data and information? Um, and I know as well you you also surveyed uh, the the parents and and the staff to find and figure out what they're up to as well. But how did you start to assemble those pieces? Ryan, do you want me to take that? Yeah, you, you, you can take that. And if, if I can add anything, I will. Okay, so we did survey 7,000, we have received 7,800 families respond, which is about 75% of our households. Uh, and we received 1,600 responses from staff. That's about 60% of our staff. Uh, and that was a couple of weeks ago. We could probably do that every day and get slightly different data or maybe significantly different data. I'm not sure, um, but we did try to survey data staff. We also are working with uh, districts throughout the metro area. Um, and to be honest with you, everyone's kind of landed on a similar thing. Let's give parents choice. Everyone's situation is different. Um, whether uh, some families can support the learning at home, uh, some families are having a hard time with that. Um, you know, I just read uh, Kansas City was talking, uh, they had 45% of the parents say, disengaged, uh, their kids disengaged during uh, March, April, May. Um, so they only reached half of their community. Um, so that's an, obviously an issue that half we'd hope would come to school in Kansas City, right? Uh, so, but we want to give parents choice. Um, and we, at that survey, we had about 71% of parents at that time said they wanted it in person. Uh, th that may change. We want to give choice so people can make it a, 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 an informed decision. Um, working with the health department and following all the guidelines from different organizations. Um, you know, visiting with uh, staff, visiting with uh, uh, other folks. I think the health department's really going to be a big driver in how the in-person looks. Uh, right now, we want to give two choices, in-person versus virtual. The in-person, though, is going to really depend on, on guidance from the health department where we're at. I can tell you we also have summer school. This is the second week of it. Uh, we just uh, finishing up uh, this week, so um, we got another week left. 1,200 kids signed up. About 200 kids didn't show because the mask order came out the Wednesday before. Um, we think majority of that was because of the mask, but the 1,200 kids are there. They're wearing a mask all day long. Um, they're taking mask breaks uh, and, and they take them off for snacks. But it, it was, it's eerily normal uh, walking through the buildings. Um, I'm not seeing a lot of fidgeting with them. I'm not seeing uh, kids upset with them. They're, they're, it's just normal. Uh, they're, they're used to it already. <clears throat> so kudos to our teaching staff. In fact, when we had 200 less show up, I would try to see if we get a couple staff members and come over and help building our online for those who choose online. And they're like, no, we love kids and we chose to do summer school because we want to be with kids. Can we please stay with the kids? You bet. Um, so uh, it's been a very successful summer school. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead then and let's shift into that, that choice that the district is now offering uh, parents and, and, and families throughout the district. There is a choice to be made of, of sending your kids to, to in-person school that you're just talking about or online learning, which is, and we'll, and we'll get into this, it's going to look a little different than, than what it was in, the, in March when we, oh no, shut down. Um, tell me a little bit about what that, what that in-person is going to, to look like. And, and I also want to make sure that we're clear here. You're asking families to commit for the semester. Is that correct? Correct, definitely for the online part. It's, it's gonna be easier to move from in-person to online because we can backtrack or fast forward to where, the spot you should be at online because they're gonna be different paces just because they're different mediums. Um, but if you're online and you join a class of 25 kids, it's hard to backtrack or fast forward um, if you're joining a class of 25. So if you choose online, we're saying it's all semester. If you choose in-person, 
um, we can work with you individually if, if you if at some point down the road you want to switch back to online and that's what we've always done you know we had a thousand kids and uh, signed up at r7 online academy last year so or a thousand courses i should say um, so we've already had that as far as look different i think the, the biggest growth part is going to be the elementary online i think the r7 online academy has really done a great job at secondary level for years in fact districts all over the region purchase classes from Lee Summit because it is such a rigorous piece. Um, elementary, we're, we're gonna try to build that piece in uh, as fast as we can, but it'll be more rigorous and more engaging than it was in the spring when we had to build it within a couple of days. Uh, but it will, it'll take time to get it to the level of the secondary courses again. I want to I want to go through now, and I think Jason and I are going to just ask you guys some 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 general questions. Some of them that we have after watching your presentations last night. Some are things that we're we're hearing around the community, and and we should preface this with we all acknowledge that some of those answers might change because this has been fluid all the way around. And also, you know, the hardest part of of COVID world is we have to be okay with the answer of I don't know. Um, that's hard to both take and and say sometimes. So let's let's kind of look into a little bit uh, of of what your what you're seeing and 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 I and I want to get into a little bit of of how online is going to be different because I think I think you guys have probably heard a lot of this that there were a lot of people who struggled, um, but you were also creating as you went a little bit and I know that because I'm married to a teacher. Um, from a different district, but but that was a, a strange shift. So how are you how are you looking to structure online learning now so that maybe it better mirrors what's happening in person? So definitely in person is going to be uh, on the curriculum, right? Based on what the state standards are, and that's what we're going to do online. I think in March, April, May, we were trying to fill in gaps. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, there's a state organization of school boards said we're trying to stand in the gap. Um, trying to basically limit as much gap as that 45 day shutdown cause because um, that's approximately how many days of school every district shut down for uh, you know remember March 13th there was zero district shut down uh, that was a Friday March 13th by the next Wednesday 518 districts had shut down and never would return so <clears throat> they literally were built in days and it was just trying to mitigate the gap that was being created by the shutdown um, this is going to be different in that respect. We're trying to build learning experiences based on the curriculum and model as much. And secondary, it, it should run really, really smooth because they've been doing it for years. Elementary, we're building it right now and trying to model off secondary. Um, it will be more rigorous and more engaging, but it will take a little bit of time to be to the same level secondary is. So how does the online uh, curriculum that you guys have, and as you said, it's been something that's been in place for a while. How does it differ from an in-person, I mean, the in-person student experience other than the obvious uh, that one is in-person and one is online. But I mean, what, what, what are, how is that structure a little bit different? So the people who are trying to make that decision, and to be clear, that decision has to be made next week um, and a, a relatively compressed timeline, you know, what is that experience, some of that experience differential so that people get a feel for what they'd be asking their children to do? Well, I have a sophomore, uh, at least some in high school this year. <clears throat> she's taking a college French class online right now. It, it, so when she's taking her college French class, it is not a, a lot of collaboration. Um, instead, it's, it's individual pace work, um, and there's some interaction in, uh, with staff as you go through. We're hoping to build a little bit more engagement and, and staff work, uh, contact with folks, uh, and also multimedia and multi-content and different uh, stimulus materials throughout. Um, but it, the collaboration piece, in the, especially with millennials and, and, and younger, 
um, that's a huge way of learning. Um, you know, that's why they love social media so much. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a piece you lose when you're not in person. Now you can be more stylistic. Uh, you can be a little bit more on your own pace. Uh, so th that's some benefits of being online. And obviously one benefit is if you have anybody in you compromised uh, in your home or yourself, you can be a, uh, less contact with human beings. So that, that's what we're looking for. Um, by the way, if you're online, you can still participate. And right now we're saying Misha activities and it may be more than that. Um, uh, because we know that, hey, if you, you're choosing not to be in a building with, you know, 2000 kids at a high school, uh, but maybe you're okay with being with 30 kids in the, in the cross country team. Um, it does, it's still limiting your contact. So as long as we're not 100% online, we'll still offer those sports. Uh, Misha came out two days ago saying if you're 100% online, the entire district, um, then there, you cannot participate. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about that, that structure for online, online learning um, some more. Is that mostly going to be a self-paced thing for, for, for those students, or is there going to be kind of an, an all-day structure for them? So it's kind of a hybrid of that. There is expectations daily and weekly, uh, but as a kid, you can accelerate or fall a little bit behind and play catch up. So yesterday, my, my, I used my French daughter, daughter taking French class, college class uh, out of Truman. Um, she, she had to do five hours of, of yesterday to uh, catch back up because she was a day behind. Um, none so none of us have crazy. ever had to do anything like that <laughs> ever in the past. I, I, I so, for one, cannot remember how many uh, direct and continuous hours of uh, language lab I had to do in college to catch up for a semester. So. And I do think I do think it's important that um, our parents and stuff would know that students will have to have good self-discipline when they go into an online environment in order to maintain um, their their academics for an entire semester, um, especially when this would be. Uh, more requirements and, and considerably more rigorous than what was done in the spring. So I hope people understand that if they choose the online option, which is, I totally understand if they do, uh, but people will need to understand that there has to be a level of discipline for them to be able to complete their, their work. Ryan, let me, let me follow that up then. What you've obviously we've had our seven online for a, a, for a number of years. What kinds of students were choosing that in the uh, in the first place, I mean, before well, obviously we have a whole new category of folks who may choose that um, because of the pandemic. But who were the students that, or what were the students' needs that were taking that option in the first place? Well, we do have quite a few students, obviously, in our secondary setting that are choosing those hybrid models. Those kids who um, are doing job experiences along with taking classes within our buildings. Um, those who wanted to also go and do. Um, work at MIC, but also take a few classes um, at the uh, at their high schools. Those who have extenuating circumstances certainly are doing it. But I think the the real challenge here, and I, I have not actually talked with the, to Dr. Buck about this, is the challenge is going to be getting an appropriate curriculum into the elementary levels here, um, as that is a completely different kind of online environment and requirement in terms of asking an eight or a nine-year-old to stay focused in an online environment versus a 14 or 15-year-old um, who already has some experience um, with how to navigate um, the online world. Um, and so I think, you know, those kids, it's been a cross-section across our district in the secondary uh, level of who's taking those classes, but our, our real challenge now is, 
is how do we implement that into the lower grades and still make it um, relevant, rigorous, and, and really meet all the requirements that an elementary student would still need. And Jason, Nick, just to let you know, we looked at every product that was out there for elementary and our staff felt at the end of it that none of them met the muster that our secondary has been provided for years in R7 online. And they thought they could do better even doing it in two months. Um, so that, that's the choice. They think they can do better in two months than what all the companies out there are providing elementary is. Uh, as it has out there. So I'm, I'm sure that gives you a little bit of, uh, of confidence at walking in the door 17 days ago. And, and I mean, and I know you've been involved in discussions, but that, that's got to be a little bit of confidence building for you. There's amazing talent here. There's no doubt about it. Well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about you, you've built this so that if, when, whatever, um, a school has to close or all of these schools have to close, that on or in-person learners can shift to to online, or we may shift to a hybrid as well. Um, so, um, if at some point, say the health department, and maybe we start school this way, we haven't heard what August will look like from the health department yet. Uh, they say buildings can only be half capacity, and we only have twenty percent of staff, uh, kids signed up for online. Well, that means we need to go to an AB schedule, um, and looking at that hybrid. Um, we think that doing two consecutive days for A on Monday, Tuesday, so half the population. Wednesday, everyone's virtual. And then Thursday, Friday, it's the kids, uh, the other half of the kids come in. And then Wednesday, we do deep, deep, deep cleaning of uh, disinfection of the buildings and facilities. We're going to be doing it daily, but we could do a you know, super deep one when no one's there all day long. And so you have um, continuity of two days together, one day of everyone's online together, and then two days of online half the population. So that, that is our, our second step if we can't do in-person every single day. I want to ask a little bit about what happens so if when a student or teacher tests positive. How is that classroom affected? So it's going to depend on what the health department tells you to do. So give me an example. Park Hill had a case uh, in first grade uh, and they had to shut down that first grade classroom only. They did contact tracing uh, the health department did and, and determined basically that um, only that classroom needed to be shut down, not the whole building. So they're the experts. They're the ones that have the contact tracers have been trained. Um, we'll follow their lead. What does that shutdown in quotes, what does that look like? Is that the teacher and all students are then self-isolated for 14 days? That is what I am hearing is that if you, well, it's a, there's two different pieces there. There is the piece for those who are directed by the health department to self-quarantine for 14 days. There's also the piece of, hey, should we shut down a building because of community uh, spread? Um, and that would might be two to five days is what I'm being told by, um, by the health officials. Um, so you, you were not one that needed to be quarantined, but you were in a facility that uh, community spread. So we're going to take a two to five day break um, before we come back to make sure symptoms don't pop up beyond contact tracing we didn't we didn't know about. So that'll be a health department decision. But I'm gonna throw out one question for the for the teachers that that are listening. Um, how does that affect such, such a good husband I know. Nick. Yeah this this is so I don't get in trouble. <laughs> how does that affect uh, sick leave and, and PTOs? I think you know we're looking at, at a high possibility of a lot of sick days out there. Um, and you're only allotted so many. How does that affect teacher sick days? 
So right now, and, and uh, this is till December 31st, um, there's the FFRC, um, Family First uh, Coronavirus Act, um, if I'm getting the, the term right there, it has FMLA, temporary FMLA. Um, so there's two different pockets of that. There's one, if it's a medical one, it's up to 10 business days, which is 14 days when you count throw in the weekends of 100% pay. And that does not affect then your, your sick leave. Um, and then there's also another one, if daycares are shutting down and you can't find proper daycare for your child, um, there's up to 12 weeks of two thirds pay. And that one can be intermittent. So let's say you can find daycare three days a week, but there's two days a week you can't. And so you could come to work three days and in two days stay home with your children uh, and get 67% pay for the days you're staying home. Uh, again, those are uh, put in place just for coronavirus or special FMLA just for that. And then there's still regular FMLA and there's a whole process with that. The, the other side of that, and, and this I think is a problem that districts have all the time, is are we ready? Is there a stable of ready, healthy, and qualified substitutes? <laughs> so just finished a meeting at 930 and, and I was told that uh, Actually, we use Kelly Services that they believe they have more subs right now. Now, I haven't heard that directly from Kelly Services, but it was a person here who works with them uh, who does not work for the district uh, and said, actually, they have because unemployment's a little higher, they have more people. Also, you think about our need it may not be as high as normal year because we have, you know, let's say we have 20 percent of our, our kids doing online. That means 20 percent of our staff are teaching online uh, potentially. So you have less people in person. Uh, then you have less needs for sub in person. Um, so there, that, that may play an effect. Um, we're also saying the professional development wise and also pull teachers out for training wise, we will only do if we have sufficient subs. Um, so we'll, we'll cancel professional development. And right now we're saying you can't travel for professional development under Jackson County's 2.5 version. Under 3.0, they could go professional development in state only. Well, let's um, let's talk about Jackson County guidance. Actually, Jackson County rules. Uh, there was some some conversation, Ryan, um, there last night. That right now there are health orders uh, mandating masks, capping capacities, doing things of that nature um, in in the area. And and it would, you know, it's anticipated. Hopefully, we all hope that this uh, the numbers will shift in a way that we can shift from 2.5 under orders to guidance, as as was put it forth there. There's a lot of, there are a lot of layers of politics uh, over your guys' heads, um, county, city, state, federal level, um, where decisions are going to be made that you guys do not have part of. Are, do you guys have infrastructure in place in the district to be able to make decisions that might make you be more strict than what the minimum guidance is? And where are you guys going to make those decisions? Well... I think first off, do we have infrastructure in place where we could be more strict? We could, yes, right? The, the, the school board as a local jurisdiction and a local governance, we could make um, things more strict within our schools if we want. Um, right now, under the Jackson County orders, that's about as strict as you could be, you know, for a school setting in terms of requiring masks at all times throughout the building. Um, they are requiring daily student health checks, you know, that kind of thing. So. Um, I'm only saying hypothetically, if they were to continue with the current orders into August, that's about as strict as you could be to ever even try to open a school building to begin with. Um, if they switch it to um, guidance instead of an actual order, um, then we do have to make that decision as a school district. Are we going to kind of follow, um, 
you know, right in step with the health department and say, you know, that um, our masks are going to be required only when you're in close contact with people, when um, they're developmentally appropriate, that kind of thing. We'll have to make those decisions. And it's one of the reasons I think that all of us wanted to get back together, not only the board, but staff here on August 6th is to have those kinds of discussions because hopefully we will have um, a decision from the from the health department and can make those kinds of, of calls. Okay, and but do you have, um, I guess over and above, and maybe Dr. Buck, you can have this, are there numbers that the district is looking at, um, you know, in terms of infection rates and all the other things, other than what's happening physically within the buildings, which obviously will dictate on the ground decisions, um, to where you're going to make those decisions? Because I, I mean, I think Look, I mean, not, I, I'm, I don't want to put politics into it, but we've seen in, in Georgia where there's conflict between state and local level uh, desires on those sorts of things, and that's playing out in ways. And one can imagine politics in the state of Missouri shifting in, in various ways that, that do that, putting the school district in a very difficult position where, you know, right now, as, as Ryan said, that the, the rules are where you have to do this basically full time. Um, are you guys are you, are you looking independently at that and who like how is that process going like who's who's paying attention to and what are they paying attention to to help inform uh, you know supplementally over what you guys are discussing with the health department? Well, <clears throat> right now we have a good relationship with our county health department. We want to continue that, so I we're going to continue to partner with them, whether it's a guidance or an ordinance. Um, so we we uh, we'll continue that relationship. Uh, I be honest with you, I can't foresee that uh, becoming a political ball out of the health department. Um, they're 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 basing on on facts and and trying to do what's best for public health. And so they and they they do that all day long. And so we're going to rely on them quite a bit. Fair enough. I'm going to I'm going to get back into just a, a couple <laughs> little specifics, and and I know we need to we need to wrap up here in the next several minutes. Um, getting back to what it looks like in person. There will be screenings and temperature checks. What are those? Uh, are those temperature checks? Is are the are there temperature checks as they walk in the door? As students and staff get on a bus, so what, what does that look like? The the initial thing or the initial plan, and Dr. Buck, feel free to correct me if I if I'm misstating this, is that um, when we go back to school in August, the temperature checks we would be expecting parents um, and guardians to do the screenings at home before they send their child to school. Um, a lot of that also is because is if we have a few more students in the building bottlenecking kids at entrances and stuff to do those kinds of things defeats the purpose of trying to space kids out as they come into the building to begin with. So we would be asking um, for people to do those screenings um, at home for fevers, making sure that if their kids don't feel well, don't send them to school, which we know is an issue. Um, and it's one that we really, really have to educate parents on and, and, I don't want to get on a soapbox here because, you know, as a former teacher, we saw lots of kids obviously get sent to school, even when they're sick. Um, and this is going to be an area where we really need to um, talk to our community about if your kid is sick, we really need you to keep them at home, right? Because at this point, it's, it's an entire district issue, building issue, however you want to look at it, um, that you could be impacting by sending your kid to school. Um, if they're sick, but we would be requiring those screenings um, at home. The other thing I would say is that if a kid would develop symptoms at the building um, and would need to go to the nurse's office, there'll be separate sites for those uh, students um, to be held um, until their parents can come and get them so that they are not mingling um, with other students within the student population. 
So Ryan and Dr. Buck, first of all, thank you for taking time to chat with us today. Is there anything else that we have not covered that you want to make sure that people are hearing um, at this point that that we can we can make sure that we we have that quick discussion before we? Before we I just want to say um, one thing, and that is things are ever changing, and while we have a, a, a plan in place right now, and I do want to stress that I think our staff has done a very good job on this plan. They have taken what is a bad scenario, um, right, and a no good decision kind of scenario and done the best they possibly can with it. And, you know, I have two young kids who I'm gonna make a decision on with my wife on sending to school as well. Um, but I think that it's important that people understand we are looking at data we are constantly in contact with health officials um, to make sure that we are updating plans and trying to make sure that we are providing the very best environment possible for students, but not only, uh, but also for our staff. Dr. Buck, any last words? No, I'm, there's, there's a lot of talent here and I'm very thankful for all the hard work everyone's putting in. Um, we wanna do what's best for kids. And with this situation, um, the ability to uh, school at home uh, can differ just based on a lot of different factors for people. So if that's the best option, we're going to support you. If it's the best option, send your child to school, we're going to support you. Uh, I, you know, both have uh, strengths and both have some drawbacks. And, uh, and we're just there's going to have to be parent choice because they're going to know their, their situation better than us. Well, Dr. Buck, Ryan, I appreciate you both taking a little bit of time on a, on a busy Friday morning to, to talk with us and help us get, get the conversation out into the community. That will wrap us up for today. We'll talk to everybody next time. Thank you, guys. You have been listening to Lee Summit Town Hall, a link to Lee Summit podcast with hosts Nick Parker and Jason Norberry. A proud member of the Fredcast Network, you can subscribe to this podcast on most of your favorite podcast apps and catch us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for all the news, analysis, and conversations on the Lee Summit community. Connect with us on Facebook at Link to Lee Summit or on Twitter at LS Town Hall. Thank you.